Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. A reading from the book of 1 John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother." Thank you, Asha, for the reading of God's Word. Such a beautiful book that we get to dive into during that uh, series called Are You Sure? And before I get started on uh, commenting on uh, this section that we just read, I just want to remind you a few key elements to keep in mind as we are journeying through the book of John, 1 John. Uh, First, it's more about the context. So John, the apostle, the the one that Jesus loved, that's how he calls uh, himself. Um, He's writing this letter to a group of house churches in Ephesus, and he is wanting to bring them assurance about their salvation, and he's doing that in response to some dangers that he's observed in the house churches, namely that some deceivers had infiltrated the church and were trying to deceive these Christians about what it means to really walk with God, what it means to be sure of your faith, what it means to please God. And uh, there's a key verse that uh, I want to remind you of in uh, 1 John 5, verse 13, and it says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That key verse is essential to understand the purpose of a letter. He's really writing these um, disciples to make sure that they know by the end of a letter, I want you to know for sure that you have eternal life in uh, the Son of Jesus Christ. These deceivers were uh, really 
of a practice called Gnosticism, which teaches that basically all the sins that you can do in the body are not really important because it belongs to the body, and they're really making the big distinctions between spiritual matters and physical matters. What you do with your physical life belongs to you. Uh, you can do whatever you want. It's not going to have a huge impact as far as your Christian life and what you know in your head, the knowledge that you have, and uh, what you know about God is really important. That was a Greek philosophy, and that really was a huge, um, predominant wrong teaching in the first uh, century Christianity. And so John is addressing that issue big time, and he's wanting to make sure that his children, that's the way he calls uh, the people he's writing to, his little children, I want to make sure that you guys are staying on track with the gospel that you first heard. And he's also saying that he's writing to them so that their joy might be complete. We find that in uh, chapter 1, verse 4. And also in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. So these are really key elements to keep in mind as we are um, diving into this text. Now, there are really three main sections uh, that we need to uh, highlight in what we just read. The first one will be, the, the test, the second one will be the assurance of faith, and the third one, the hope and the rest that we have in Jesus. The test, the assurance of faith, and the hope and the rest that we have in Jesus. I don't know about you, but in my young Christian life years, I've experienced many dark days where I was doubting my salvation. I would get up in the morning and feel like God was so far away and there was maybe a slight possibility that I had lost it. I had lost my relationship with God. I had lost the ability to be in communion with Him and to belong to the kingdom of God. And sometimes we go through our Christian life having this feeling of confusions and doubts about whether or not we belong, whether or not we can lose our salvation. And it is a huge uh, temptation for us. And John is addressing that big time. And here's giving a test for these believers to know how to discern between those who are born of God and those who are not. And I want to highlight four sentences that we find in uh, verse 6 to verse 10. Verse 6 says this, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Verse 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And verse 10, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. These are really clear sentences uh, that talks about practice of sin, talks about abiding in God, and talks about um, being born of God or not. Now the purpose of this section is to help those who are part of a community of this little church network in Ephesus to discern between those who are children of God and those who are not, those who are in and those who are out, those who are the deceivers and those who are really truly the community of Jesus. And they need assurance. They need protection against those deceivers. So he's giving them a clear way to test those who are in and those who are out. And this test should also serve us today as a way to annihilate doubt and wrong doctrines. It should do the exact same thing. And the test is simple. And the question goes like this. Is sin a core, voluntary, intentional practice in your life? Is sin a core, voluntary, and intentional practice in your life? 
Now, I insist on these words, voluntary and intentional, because that's exactly the distinction that John wants to make between the sin that is still present in a believer's life and the sin that are, is actually the aim of someone's life. And uh, it's clear earlier in the letter that he is also um, teaching that sin is still a part of a believer's life. We read in verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and then the truth is not in us. So if we fall and are still subject to temptation, it doesn't mean that we are not in the truth, but more so that actually we are in a right relationship with God. Denying the presence of sin in our lives is actually a sign that we are not walking with God. We read in verse 10 of uh, uh, chapter 1, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So John attributes walking with God by going to the light and being exposed, having our sins exposed. That's what happens when you come to the light. You realize whatever is going wrong in your life, and you're encouraged to bring some changes. And so that's a really normal, natural part of a Christian life, going closer and closer to the light so that God shines um, whatever needs to be addressed, whatever needs to be corrected. And we all, I think, came to the realization when you first come to Jesus that it's almost a, a saddening feeling. You realize how much sin you have in your life. And you sometimes wake up in the morning and you feel maybe heavy-hearted because you realize, man, how sinful I am. And that should bring you to the grace of God, not to a self-condemnation. But if you are sitting here today and you struggle with really feeling convinced about certain sins in your life, I would say that's a good starting point. It shouldn't bring you to condemnation. It should bring you to the grace of Jesus. But the fact that you realize that is actually a good health in your spiritual heart because God is shining your light in your life. But clearly John in chapter 3 that we just read is talking about a different aspect of sin. One of the words he's mentioning is lawlessness. He says lawlessness is sin. That's a really powerful sentence. And the Greek word for lawlessness is anemia, who carries the idea of someone who lives without the rules of God, someone who is in total rebellion against God, who has no intention whatsoever to submit to uh, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So the way to know if you're born of God or if you're not is very straightforward. Are you today in a position of total rebellion against God? And I don't mean there is, is there a sin that you have a hard time with? Is there a sin in your life right now that you are wrestling with or you're trying to conquer? That's not really the question. The question is more so about the lifestyle, about your trajectory of life. Are you really going into a trajectory that is opposed to God, opposed to his laws, opposed to his ways? If that's the case, then my conclusion would be you're probably not born of God. And that's what John is teaching here. And often there's a great deal of confusion about this test because people think about reading 1 John 3, verse 1 to 10, that, oh, if someone is still practicing sin or someone is still in sin, then that means that, you know, they've not been born again and they don't belong to God and that if really you are walking with God, sin should be really a minimal part of your life. But I think it's a little more complex than that and it's also a little more simple than that. I think we... we we get it wrong because we think that by going to church, that makes you a Christian. And so if someone goes to church and sin a lot and, and do really 
um, has a, a lifestyle that is completely opposed to God, then that means the person is just really just has not realized essential things. But what John is really teaching here is that either you love God or you don't. And there's not a whole lot of nuances here. And uh, I want you to really embrace that test as a way to know where you're at right now, not just where you're at in terms of your rating with relationship with God, but more so to know, are you really saved or are you not saved? Because if we've really been born of God and God has done this wonderful work by His Spirit in our lives, then my inkling would, would say that basically you're just going to progress in this spiritual life because the Spirit of God lives in you. There's not a lot of room Again, for nuances. Now, we may not have a lot of deceivers inside our community today that teaches Gnosticism, but we have deceiving voices in our head, planting doubts. And these doubts can take the form of thoughts such as, you just keep on falling in the same trap. Therefore, you must not be a real Christian. Or, that's it now, you've gone too far. There's no way back to the Father. Or, you've lost what you had. Or stop being a hypocrite. If these people knew what's going on in your life, what you're addicted to, you would not have the same place among them. Or maybe this thought, there is no way you can be sure of being saved when you still practice these things. Now, if you believe these doubts, and these whispers sometimes in our head, that is exactly what the devil wants you to do, to keep you sinning, to keep you in the same position of self-pity and self-condemnation so that you would stay there, stagnate, and not move on in the life that God has given you. Being assured of that position in Christ is so crucial to help us overcome sin. Now, I think um, we've made a great deal of theology about, you know, uh, if you're a Calvinist or if you're not a Calvinist, and I really don't want to get into that debate right now because it's not about belonging to a tribe or not. It's about really following the scriptures and understanding what God wants, us, uh, God, God wants for us as believers. And the, this brings me to the second point of the assurance that we have in Jesus. I want to talk about eternal security here because it's such an important matter to understand the Christian life. A lot of Christians think that they handle salvation like jello in their hands, basically. That they've received Jesus in their lives and they pray the magic prayer and then just salvation is right here like a bar of soap that, you know, you just one day hold and one day you don't. You know, just like when you're in a shower and you're trying to hold soap that's wet. It's really hard to hold, right? But that's really a wrong idea, a wrong view of a Christian life. Uh, you know, I don't think that God wants us to live in fear of always losing what's the most precious thing for us, our relationship with Him. And in this section, John is giving us a key to unlock Christian assurance. It is found in verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And I want to emphasize God's seed. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. The word seed is sperma in Greek, from which we get the word sperm. In other words, we could say that you and I have been fertilized or we've become pregnant with God's nature, his life, and there's no way to escape it. Now, the way I want to explain it is basically it's really hard to one day being born of God, adopted in his family, and the next day wake up in the morning because you've had a bad day before and say, I'm not born again anymore. I'm not born of God. 
That would be crazy, right? How, what kind of father would adopt a son in his family and then the next day because the son has been disobedient saying, you know what, you don't belong anymore. You don't belong to this family. But thinking along those terms is exactly how we treat salvation sometimes. We really think we can walk with God and have this beautiful relationship with him, but it's all depending upon us, basically. If I mess up, if I don't do what's right, then I lose it. And I, I think it's a wrong approach to the Christian life and the assurance that we have in Jesus Christ. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning because we've got God's nature. And if God's nature has been planted in you, sooner or later, the life of God is going to flourish, given that you water it. Now, Louis, are you telling me that I can't lose God's love for me? Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. Now, I hear the next question. Louise, are you telling me that I can't lose my salvation? I would say yes. That's my own personal theological standpoint. You're, you're really free to agree or not, but based on this text, I can't say that you have it one day and then you don't have it the next day. God is so good and so rich in his mercy that he provides everything that we need to stay with him because he's a loving father. It's like if you go on a trip, if you've got your kids with you, I've got three, three kids myself, if I go to a big city or if I go downtown somewhere, I'm always holding them because I don't want a car to run over them. But I'm not letting them loose like, hey, go on, and hope you make it. It's really dangerous out there. You know, there's a light there. You should probably look to the left and right before you cross. And often that's how we treat salvation. That's how we treat the Christian life. We think we are on our own and God is letting us do our own thing and he's going to catch, catch us one day. But God is a father and he's always holding us, always keeping us just near him. Now, there may be moments in our lives where we're just choosing to go on our own ways. But if truly, truly you've been born of God and God's seed has been planted in you, my guess is that he's going he's gonna to get you. You know, I, there's been times where as a young Christian, starting to walk with Jesus, being sure that God had done a work of salvation in my life where I made some bad decisions or I was struggling with some sins. But I always had the stirring of the Holy Spirit to bring me back to him. Maybe if I would take a day or two or maybe a week, but God's Spirit is at work in our lives so well that he will always bring us back to the Father. And that's the miracle of salvation. And maybe you know some people in your family, among your friends, who went to church for a while, seem to agree with some theological points about Christianity, and you've seen them disappear and do some things that are really against Christianity, and you wonder, I guess they lost it. My conclusion, again, it's my personal conclusion, is that these people were never really born again in the first place. They never had that beautiful new birth experience uh, produced by the Spirit of God, because if that was the case, there's just no way you could escape it. There's just no way. Uh, God is just so faithful, and it doesn't rest on us. Again, if salvation would rest only on us, of course we would mess up. Of course we would be far away from God, because it just we can't. We're humans. We're sinners. We're depraved. We need the grace of God on a daily basis, and it's His work. It's the same as trying to mix oil with water, right? Oil is oil, and water is water. And if you receive salvation, then it's just going to be the same thing. It's, gonna, it's the nature of things. You can't be a Christian and a non-Christian at the same time. You can't be born again and not being born again at the same time. What happens when someone gets pregnant? There's life. And you can't take that life back. 
There's life, life in you. For those of you in the room who have became pregnant or experienced that, that wonderful life, you know that once it's in you, it's in you. And it's just waiting to burst out in the open and, and rock your life forever. <laughs> you don't have to fabricate that life. All we have to do is create space for that life to manifest itself. And that's the beautiful thing about salvation. If you've said yes to Jesus, don't be afraid to lose what you have that is so precious. Just make space for that life to manifest itself. And the way we make space for the life of God to manifest itself is through the spiritual practices. Now, having tested who is born of God and who is not, having that assurance that God's seed has been planted in us, now we can rest and we can hope. And I go a little bit back into the first um, part of that section of chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, that I want to read again. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purify himself as he is pure. There's a beautiful invitation here to rest in the reality of adoption. We are children of God, and we can say to God, Abba, Father. We can never meditate enough on the love of the Father for us. And so in prayer, really the practice for us is to meditate on that love so that it takes root in us, so that it's not just head knowledge, but it really actually... um, becomes a reality in our hearts, in our affections, in who we are. Ronald Rollheiser, who is a Catholic priest, wrote a book called Prayer, Our Deepest Longings. And he um, talks about this experience that he had where he was invited to a seminar and uh, they were waiting for this wonderful speaker to bring them a lot of uh, insights on prayer. But the speaker was actually very down to earth, very simple about how to go about prayer. And this is how he recalls that experience. In essence, what he told us might be summarized in this way. You must try to pray so that in your prayer, you open yourself in such a way that sometime, perhaps not today, but sometime, you are able to hear God say to you, I love you. These words addressed to you by God are the most important words you will ever hear because before you hear them, nothing is ever completely right with you. But after you hear them, something will be right in your life at a very deep level. That's what we need to hear. And if you've never experienced that intimacy with a father, I encourage you to make room and space so that you hear that voice say to you, I love you. Because that's the position that you have. If you've said yes to Jesus and he lives in you, all he wants to do is to um, invite you into that intimacy. But there's also an invitation to set our eyes on the return of Jesus And uh, because the goal is to become like Jesus, it's not just to stay the way we are. But as we are fixing our eyes on Jesus and we are being obsessed by his return, it shapes us, it transforms us because we have eternal perspective. And it puts you in a position to um, really um, make changes in your own personal lifestyle. You know, my wife and I have been looking for a house for uh, quite a few months now. And it's really interesting to see how it shapes us now. 
um, we live in a small house and we've decided not to uh, become too cluttered because we don't have a lot of room and we know that we want to have a bigger house. So we say no to buying certain furnitures. We say no to buying another bed. We say no to buying a different couch. We say no to buying a, a lamp or some decorations because we are renting. We don't want to make holes in, on the wall and having to repaint it. And so we're trying to, to protect the house we have because we're renting and we want to keep it hopefully really well. And, um, and also we are preparing for a new house. So we are, we are expecting, we are ready, we are wanting to have that new reality in our lives. And that's the same with waiting for Jesus' return. As we are waiting for his return and have that expectation, we are uh, making room. We are uh, decluttering our lives. We are not investing into what's not essential because he is coming back. And that's exactly what John is teaching here. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. But for that to happen, we need to hope in him. We set our eyes on his return. I want to invite the worship band to come back up on stage. And I want to encourage you, as I'm wrapping up this uh, passage, that wherever you are in your own spiritual journey, that you're able to take that test that I talked about before, and not think as a test to be self-condemned, like, oh, okay, I'm practicing sin. No, that test is to really know, um, did you say yes to Jesus? Do you know for sure that the Spirit of God has come in your life, has given you a new birth, not just new theological insights, because insights are not enough. Knowledge is not enough to transform us. We need experience. And for that to happen, we need to open ourselves up to let Jesus come in, to let Jesus take control of our lives. And if that truly happens, you'll see. Sin is just going to become that thing you won't practice anymore. Yes, you will be exposed to sin. Yes, you will fall again. But it won't be a voluntary, intentional practice in your life. And you will have victory. You'll be able to conquer some sins because he's giving you his spirit. And maybe you've been exposed to self-condemnation and maybe you've been deceived in your thoughts and you've, you think maybe you've lost salvation. Maybe you've lost that relationship with God. Can I encourage you to grab that assurance of faith that you have because God's nature is in you. God, God's seed abides in you. His life is in you and it wants to manifest itself. So don't let the devil trick you or condemn you, but come back to the Father. Come back to this declaration that Abba, you are my Father. This service is not ending right now. We're just going to come back uh, to a time of worship where we can declare all these truths in worship so that it's not just mere truths, but it's actually inviting our hearts to respond to God's Word. This is how God's Word is living and is real. We can worship Jesus, the one who has accomplished everything on our behalf. Man, I'm so glad. I am so glad that salvation doesn't rest on me because I would be really in a bad place right now. And I was preparing this sermon this week. I, I just don't know how to explain it, but I, I got this revelation that, man, I belong to Jesus and there's just nothing that will separate me from him. Nothing, nothing at all. And if you can hold on to these truths, it's going to be a powerful um, encouragement to persevere. 
That's how we persevere in the faith. It's hard to persevere in the faith if you're not sure of being saved or not. But let's just rest on our assurance of faith that we have a loving Father who is never going to let us go because He is good and He's done His work on the cross by raising Jesus from the dead, by giving us His Spirit. Let's pray together and worship. Jesus, I thank you so much for what you've done. I thank you so much that you've given us, given us life. I thank you that you're gracious, that you're good, and that we are born of God, that you have adopted us in your family, and absolutely nothing is going to let us go. Father, I just want to rest in you. I can't wait for your return when you will appear and I will be transformed into this glorious being to be with you forever. Father, I want to set my eyes on you and be purified day by day as I set my eyes, as I fix them on you, Jesus. You're so good, so loving. We worship you. Amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.